<laughs> I'm Officer McCorvid Day of the Turgid County Police. You know, things have been pretty tense between the public and police officers recently. A lot of people have lost faith in our ability to patrol the streets with our moral authority ever since we got caught doing all that stuff that we've always been doing. But we want to regain that trust you had in us. Back when you were ignorant of what we do because it didn't directly affect you or the people you care about. That's why starting today, we are embarking on the most significant public relations campaign ever established. Say goodbye to your criticisms of the police, because if you don't, then you'll be saying goodbye to your kids. That's right. From now on, we won't hesitate to shoot white kids neither. Look, everybody already know that the police love shooting kids. I, I mean, that's why I myself became a police officer. But we realize that ever since the police been a thing, there's been a malignant tumor infecting our forces, racism. And while we don't vow at all to change that policy, we will now be leveling the playing field and murdering white kids anytime we're criticized for murdering non-white kids. We are committed to releasing bullets into the flesh of all people, regardless of race, gender, nationality, and sexuality, and we hope to regain your trust starting today. Sign up for a newsletter at patreon.com slash Hooters Juniors for exclusive access to body cam footage that you will never have access to. Thank you. Oh, uh, also, all characters, events, and companies in this show, even those based on real entities, are entirely fictional and do not represent reality at all, and there's no implied messaging, there's no actual truth to anything portrayed in this show to believe otherwise, well, uh, You're listening to Hooters Juniors, the Durgan McFlurkstang story. From Sad Picture Productions. Hi, I'm your host, host, episode 10, part 2 Flowers for Durgan. One by one, the walls came down. Thousands of Australians, kangaroos, and chimeras began descending upon what remained of viscous since the implementation of forced Medicare. It was in the trenches that we waited, knowing that whatever was about to happen would change everything, forever. A lot was on the line here, and now that I was rich, I had even more to worry about. Well, I was just an objective journalist that would be going out there to record and exploit the bloody screams and tears from both sides for money and fame, I knew that I'd also totally be war criming as many Australians as I possibly could. I stared into the last patch of clear blue sky, couched between the grey clouds. Rain was coming. That was gonna sound super sick in the background. Yeah, there we go. To the left of me, a trembling child drank from the blood of Christ to calm his nerves. And to the right, a wolf, growling at my body armor, which again, was just several children duct taped around my body. The stench of fertilizer filled the air around us as townsfolks continued building makeshift bombs. I watched as child messengers ran back and forth between the trenches, delivering clear to those in need. And that's when I saw Durgan step up, Wearing the same clothes he wore on the first day I met him, 
the same clothes he always wore, along with the body armor made from children duct tape around him, of course. It was then that he spoke. Alright, kids, listen, look. I know your lives have been short-lived. Wait, <laughs> you're gonna have short lives. Hold up, you haven't lived long yet. Yeah, there we go. But today is the first day of your new life. Today, you make up for all those times you weren't working hard enough. Today, you become citizens of a new nation that's pretty similar to the old one. A nation that says... It's not a right to be represented in a court of law. A nation that says shootings are a regular part of society. A nation that says I want to poison the whales and fill the skies with coal. A nation that says it's my choice to die how and when I want to die, even if I don't realize that I'm doing it. A nation that says fuck you. I've got mine. And look, listen, I don't know what we're going out there to, but I know it ain't no bush. And these Australians, <laughs> these anarcho-communist, socialist, fascist, authoritarian, stateless, so-stateless, hierarchical state system supporting Mad Max-like Australians, all they know is the bush. But us, all we know is viscous. And some of you know how to read, <laughs> but not most of you. This is our land, but more importantly, my land. And the only way they'll take my land from me is if they pry it from your dead, cold hands. Each and every one of yous. And with that, I'd like Pastor McGrath of the Lord to lead us in a prayer. Pastor, please. Lord, in these desperate times, we know that you do test us. I have now been tested nine different times in the unsuccessful attempt of suiciding myself along with my congregations. And though I have lost all nine of those congregations, I do believe you will deliver up onto me with this tenth I stand before with you here today. But blessed be not only my tenth suicidal congregation, but these children you have bestowed down into us, for they are the immediate future. Only time will tell how long that future lasts, but most likely, it's not gonna be very long. And blessed be the townsfolk who stand among us today with their feeble little drunk minds, susceptible to any and all manipulation that may come their way. And defend the wealthy because of a belief that they may too become wealthy someday, even though that's very unlikely. And to the man who brought us all together, Durgan McFlurgstang, who hath given us the bread and fish and clear that he does take away it from us, or at the very least, indebt us too. And to the entity who hath righteously exploited us all for his truthful and objective journalist career, host, host of the number one podcast, may you leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may listen to podcasts. It sincerely helps with the ranking process. And it is with that... Uh, oh, yes, yes, I, I apologize. Lord, please do include the wolves in our prayer. And so it is with that that I ask, Lord, will you give a full pardon for any and all war crimes committed by these children, folks, rich men, podcasters, and wolves? Uh, yeah? Yeah, yeah okay. So if, uh, 
Oh, <laughs> thank you, sir. Thank you. I certainly will. Well, <laughs> you're quite nice looking yourself, Mr. Lord. <laughs> Maybe I'll give you a prayer later tonight. I, Wait, I love a taste of the body. What's happening? But, oh, um, yeah. Um, and it has been done. You have all been granted a full pardon in the eyes of our Lord to commit as many war crimes as possible. May you Blackwater yourself into the streets and return unprosecuted, as Blackwater hath done to so many before. Amen. Amen. And with that, me countrymen, women, children, and wolves, we fight. Wait, like, right now? Yes, yes, go! It was then that we all emerged from the trenches and charged. Steve was at the very front leading the pack. My name's Cameron! Hey! Why do you always say that? Tax evasion! A legion of dark red brightened the now blackened sky as bombs dropped from the helicopters above into pockets of children in the crowd. Limbs began flying in every possible direction hosing our bodies down with blood and squirting pus into our eyes. These were the horrors of warfare that I had never known, that I had never recorded and published in a professionally podcasted format. It was totally rad. But just when the bombings had halted, the real war began. I watched in an excited agony as children, women, men, kangaroos, and all different variations of chimeras were mowed down by bullets and torn apart by the makeshift bombs being thrown from both sides. The variants of chimeras made from smaller rodents and birds never stood a chance. They were the first to go. But the variants combining larger mammals and prehistoric beings began mauling the children, seamlessly tearing them apart like written legal obligations that flew away in the wind. I watched as wounded children picked up the remnants of their comrades' bodies, using intestines as tourniquets to tie off their severed limbs, and stomach linings to patch up bullet wounds. No! I've lost both my eyes! Here, take one of mine! I crawled among the wounded children, between the legs of a bare octopus double puppy, and through the ripped open pouch of a now lifeless kangaroo, trying to find the best possible spot to obtain the radical soundscape of this gruesome war. Kid! Kid! Uh, what's your name? Uh, 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 Tommy! Tommy, uh, tell me how you're feeling right now. <laughs> well, not too good. My leg's been blown off. I've only got two fingers left. And I think I've inhaled enough gunpowder to turn my body into an improvised explosive device. Hell yeah. That's good. That's real good. What? Tommy, tell me. You want to get a shout out to anybody before you tragically pass away? I just want my parents to know. Tommy, get closer to the mic. I want to hear those tears. <laughs> like that? Yeah, perfect. This is going to sound so great. Okay, okay, keep going. I guess I just want my... It was then that a kangaroo had hopped onto Tommy and ripped his torso and head from the rest of his body, carrying it away into the distance. All that was left of the boy now were two arms and one leg. Two arms and one leg that I could no longer interview. And so I moved on. Bullets flew above my head, striking my body armor, 
weakening it with each blow. But I couldn't stop. I now felt the addiction of warfare, and I was on a really good clear high. Hey, uh, other kid! Yeah! <laughs> yeah! What's your... Wait, never mind. I, I don't have time for names. Tell me what you're feeling. I, I mean, like, how's it going, little buddy? Pretty bad, host. I mean... Host of the... Host of the number one podcast, leave a five-star written review. Yeah, good, good. I feel like my life is flashing before my very eyes. Oh, yeah, let me record that. How? I mean, that... How How can you record... How's it going, cooks? Great? <laughs> all right, all right. Hey! That ain't well done. Boy, oh boy. I do love kid liquor. Yeah, it is what Christ died for. No, no. <laughs> All right, boys. Locking you in for the night. See you tomorrow. Oh, gross. <laughs> hey, kid, you all right? Oh, <laughs> I guess sticking a microphone into your exposed brain to record your life flashing before your eyes wasn't the best idea, was it? <laughs> well, all right. See you later. Good luck. As I made my way through the battlefield, it finally hit me. Warfare journalism could become the most profitable endeavor I'd ever embarked on. And so I continued onwards, in the name of profit, crawling through the rotting corpses and dismembered chimeras, taking in the sweet sense of this proxy war, and swimming through the stream of child blood that carried the wounded back to the kitchen at Hooters Juniors. All the injured, get back to the kitchen. Their burgers ain't gonna cook themselves. Jurgen! Host, do black. <laughs> Wanna come watch and or participate in the crimes of your life? Sure, Durgan. Follow my house. Gonna be just like the start of Iraq. I followed Durgan into battle, running, and then crawling, hiding from enemy forces, and then running again, and swimming through puddles, no, ponds, no, lakes of blood, and gunpowder. We made our way to the Australian military's medical tent. All right, host. You're ready to murder another hospital. Heck yeah, Durgan. Hi, welcome to the autonomous medical zone. Wait, autonomous? Yeah, we, we treat everyone here. <laughs> hey, are you all right? Looks like those children it's are... It's body armor, Doc. Oh, uh, well, it, it looks like your body armor might be in need of some medical treatment. <laughs> we don't have time for that, Doctor. We're in a war for profit's sake. We've got therapists on call, too. What did you just say to me? You know, for, for any trauma or mental illness you might be experiencing. You mean like brain worms? Well, uh, that's kind of an outdated term. We prefer to call it... I don't have brain worms, Doc. Yeah! House doesn't have brain worms! We'll do it for free! <sighs> what did you just say to me? Uh, well, we'll do it for... I don't know, Doctor. Maybe it was the worms talking. It was! My goodness, House. You've got a real issue with therapy, don't you? No, they're the issue, Durgan. I don't have issues. Oh, oh all right, House. <laughs> Just speaking me mind. Uh, anyway, ready for more legalized murder? I've never been more ready. Legally speaking, that is. And so Durgan and I made our way through every other autonomous medical zone that had been set up. Releasing the doctors from their 
obligations, and freeing the patients from the constraints of not having to choose between debt and death. Well, I control the insulin now! One by one, we took down their hospitals, armories, airfields, food reserves, daycare centers, and anything the Australians had built to help improve the lives of others. We couldn't let universal healthcare and the political ideologies that went hand in hand with it breathe one more breath of fresh air on our land. We owned this land, and always had, except for when we stole it from some people who were native to America or whatever, but our pride wouldn't acknowledge that. And we couldn't let this humanitarian ideology survive. We had to snuff any inch of it out for good. Oh, you see that one, host? Shot him in the back when he was running away. That'll teach you to not engage with me, you sick-in-the-head food bank volunteers. Yeah, that was... that was... whoa. Oh my god. And that's when we saw it. An elephant T-Rex magpie mosquito alligator macropod Scott Morrison, formerly known as the Prime Minister of Australia. Scott Morrison. Oh, I'm a huge contradictory piece of shit. Durgan, what are we gonna do? Don't worry, host. I've got this one. For the next hour and a half, Durgan and I sat down with Scott Morrison, debating politics and other issues, until we realized that we were all pretty similar. Oh, Scott, that's a good one. <laughs> you know, it, it's weird, Scott. Durgan and I are famously known for being huge non-pieces of shit and super ethical. And before now, I had only heard bad things about you. But it turns out, we kind of all agree on the same issues. I mean, climate change, uh, sorry, climate lies, immigration death camps, removing children from their families, you know, it, it's a real shame that people made you out to be such a huge piece of shit. Like a gigantic piece of shit who deserves to die. Yes, it's nice to know that me homeland still has some good men back there. <laughs> anyway, Scott, we better get back to this old war thing. Yeah, it was good getting to know. Durgan, what'd you do? I had to, host. It was Australian. <laughs> It didn't matter how much we politically aligned with that huge, total, massive piece of, I mean, non, non piece of shit. It, it had to be done. All right, Durgan. I trust you. I, I just, I just. It's okay, host. There are plenty of other politicians like him. In fact, he's pretty similar to the majority of politicians here, in the US, and in the AU, and everywhere else. They're all fantastic people, and it'd be a total shame for anybody to imply that political power only attracts the worst human beings or otherwise. Well, I guess that's comforting. Now, come on, host. It's time to snuff out this little Aussie problem of ours. But how are we gonna do that? Oh, it always planned, host. Oh, it always planned for your podcast to have the most illogical possible ending, and I'm gonna follow through on that promise. All right. I trust you, Durgan. I trust you to make this number one podcast truly a number one podcast. Me wolves! It's time to feed! Oh, wow. Almost forgot about them. Oh, host. <laughs> you dumb cunt. Durgan, I, I know what you were about to say, and I know we kind of go overboard sometimes, but, like, let's just keep that word out of my podcast. But, host, uh, I'm Australian. 
We say, Con! No! Mm, uh, please, let, let's just move along. Uh, no need to do that. All right, House. <laughs> I'll do it for you. Thanks, Durgan. Yeah, you little cunt. Nope, I, I know you. We're not going there. We, we've got things to do. Look at all the wolves. We had a plan. Let's stick to that plan. But, House, it's the last episode. <laughs> I can't even get one in. I know, I know. But please, let, let's just not do that. We're, we're not going there. I will stop recording. Okay. You cut. And then we rode. On the backs of wolves, we trekked across the battlefield, into, out, and above the trenches that had been dug, slaying any Australian, kangaroo, or chimera that stood in our way. It was a beautiful thing watching the life fade from their eyes. I tried to grab interviews from children along the way. Oh! My name's... <laughs> But the wolves kept attacking any child we came across, which might have been a problem if they weren't so expendable, but Durgan wasn't worried, and I looked to Durgan now because I knew that the only chance we had of winning this war laid on his shoulders. That was a heavy weight to carry, but Durgan had set aside his feelings and cleared his head multiple times and was fighting like a true fascist, I mean a modern American who supports the Second Amendment and believes in the free market. He was fighting for freedom, true freedom, as long as it assured his private property rights would stay intact. And that's when we saw it, the whole. Whoa, whoa! Good wolf. My God, I've seen plenty of holes in my day. <laughs> But never one this big. We sat atop a hill overlooking the valley, peering into the depths of a hole that's diameter was over 5,000 meters long. Scaffolding lined the edges, working as a ladder for thousands of Australians and Roos to climb straight up from the bush into the heart of Turgid County. Built into the wall were thousands of vats filled with liquid and the growing embryos of the grossest variations of chimeras I had ever seen. A monkey rat triple vulture? A panda dog lobster? A robot train whale snake? Matt Damon and Ben Affleck? That's when I realized that up until now, I had been giving these Australians too much of my empathy. This was proof. They truly were monsters. It was one thing to be a criminal, but it was another to breed these kinds of freaks. They deserved every bullet that came out of my gun. They deserved no kind of health care, even if they could afford to pay for it. What are we gonna do, Durgan? Yes, I'm gonna stick my tongue so far up that hole that Australia never sees the light of day again. And by that, I mean, we're about to send the AU back to the AU. Okay, but... But does that mean- House, gather up every explosive, every tank of fuel, every bottle of liquor. Oh man. And every bit of tinder kindling Turgid County's got left. We're gonna send the old AU a big little present. A present just in time for Christmas. Durgan, it's August. Well then, <laughs> we'll have to move the holidays a few months back, won't we? Or or forward, either one works for what I'm saying. Actually, forward would make more sense because- Move, house! We haven't got time for your dumb science facts! This ain't just biscuits we're talking about here. It's America. My America. 
And so I did what Durgan asked. I gathered up every single flammable thing in the vicinity and radioed every available child soldier or townsfolk that were still alive to do the same. It was gonna take an army, but an army is literally what we had. Plus all the wolves. After an hour of gathering supplies, Durgan huddled us all together on the hilltop. I looked at the remaining soldiers around me. There was Dan, Officer McCorvaday, Jensen, Mr. McClamity, Lawyer McLawface, Pastor McRath of the Lord minus his 10th congregation. Why does this keep happening to me? <laughs> Randy, Steve, Mr. and Mrs. Binge Drinky, the judge for my trial, some of the other townsfolks who weren't important enough to mention, a bunch of wolves, and all the children who were totally expendable, but who made Viscous just a little bit more fun. I could see the anguish in their faces and the wounds on their bodies. The stench of rotting organs being used as tourniquets and bandages was starting to border on overwhelming. And I knew that throughout all of this, most of us were probably grieving. We had lost a lot, but we weren't gonna let that happen anymore. We were gonna take back what was rightfully ours. We were gonna do what Lockheed Martin would have done if he were still here. We were gonna tear a foreign country apart and leave the rubble and rotting corpses behind. R.I.P. Lockheed. Alright, here's the plan, me fam. And when I say fam, I mean that in an endearing way. <laughs> so that you'll all do what I want. I don't mean it like blood. We're definitely not that close, but I, I guess I, I would murder me blood relatives to save myself. Uh, okay, yes. I mean blood family. You really mean that, Durgan? For what it's worth, little expendable wagey and now soldier. Sure. Sure I mean that. And I get to tend to the rabbits! We're not doing that again! Sorry, everybody. You know what it's like being the owner of a highly successful restaurant that prides itself on its lack of label rights. Wait. No, you don't. <laughs> anyway, we've got one shot at this. One shot to save Viscous. One shot to save Turgid County. One shot to save me, America. One shot to save my property rights. Our property, mostly my property rights. We've, we've got one shot to save a gruesome late-stage capitalist hellscape. And if we win today... We'll be writing the history books, and we'll write, <laughs> we'll write awful things about Australia. We'll switch everything up on them, make them out to be savages and uncultured, and- Durgan, you may want to calm it down on that. What? What am I saying that hasn't ever been done before? Durgan, uh, I would just, uh... If it had, it would be recognized, right? We'd do something to make up for what we'd done. And then we wouldn't continue to treat them awfully. We'd never do that. Modern America, or even Australia, would never let us get away with that. Or let us continue to get away with it. Durgan, um... Oh, fine. Anyway, this is it, me family. Me blood family. Give me your blood, me family. Give me all your blood tonight. I want your blood. I want your sweat. I want your tears in exchange for fears. It's a mad world <laughs> that we live in. But tonight, we're gonna change all that. We're gonna change everything. The world's watching. There's kids in every city, every state, every country. 
Kids waiting to go back to work. Waiting to have their lives endangered in schools if their families are rich enough to put them in schools. Waiting to have no future due to the environmental actions of those who won't be alive to live through the catastrophic events they caused. There's adults in every city, every state, every country who want to be wage enslaved. Who want to not be able to afford healthcare. Who want to be forced to have kids by old white men dictating what women can do with their bodies and then struggle to make a living because they have little mouths to feed. Who want a life filled to the brim with cognitive dissonance. Who want their lives to be lessened by paying more taxes than someone who makes a thousand times their own salary. Who want to have to get a college degree just to get a job to pay off student loan debts for the rest of their lives. Who want people who have only gone through six weeks of training to be able to arrest and murder civilians and get away with it. Who wants to be free and live in a free market libertarian unregulated capitalist type hellscape. We all want the same things. Except for me, I, I want better things, but that's why you'll all do what I say. Because you know the truth. You know that I want what's best for all of us. I need me kids, your kids, back in that kitchen, sweating, sweating until their little hearts explode from all the love I force them to put into their work. And I mean that, literally. So let's go murder these Australians and blow that all back to where it came from. And that's when we got back on our wolves, cocked our guns, and took a hit of clear. All right, pass it around, everybody. <laughs> We're all about to get super rooted out here. I, I literally do not think I've been on a binge this massive since... Okay, okay, maybe it's only been days, but legitimately, I am fucking slapped, smashed me fam. <laughs> oh, host, come over here, give me a little hug. I, I love you and your podcast. I love you too, Durgan. Host, who are these people? They, these people are on our side, right? What? Yeah. Oh, okay, good, good. Uh, well, what was the plan? Um, we were gonna ride out to the hole, murdering everything in our path, uh, plant the explosives, and... Oh, yes, <laughs> and then run as fast as we can to make it back in time for the 8pm showing of Croc Dundee. Yeah, exactly. Well, alright then. Listen, host. Yeah? If something goes wrong out there, I need you to- Durgan, I I'm not gonna let anything happen to you. I can't lose you again. No, I'm not talking about me, mate. If something goes wrong, I need you to sacrifice as many children as possible. They're ultimately expendable. I can always make more. What I can't make more of is me sale. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. All right, we're all ready to die tonight. Wink, wink, host. My name's Cameron! Let us roll! And we made our way down the hilltop into the valley where thousands upon thousands of Australians and Roos were gathered, wasting them away with our bullets, and using the butt ends of our guns to crack open their skulls for the flies and vultures to feed on. I rode abreast with Durgan, as we both held tightly onto the wolves that were our vessels of destruction in a war against political ideologies we disagreed with. One by one, the guards were legally murdered, until all that was left were wounded Australians who had resigned to their fate, and allowed us to capture the area surrounding the hole. Though we later murdered them too. 
Working together, side by side, I saw children and townsfolks, enemies and lovers, poor and poorer, planting bombs, fuel, and anything that would light on fire, along the scaffolding and into the tanks of the chimeras who surely would have brought us down had we not gotten here when we did. Goodwill hunting? More like hunting goodwill. Oh, host. They weren't that bad of actors, were they? You don't know the half of it, Durgan. Hey, uh, uh, what should we do about James Blake? What? Yeah, he's just over there in the corner fucking chimeras again. Oh, uh, hey, James, James Blake, you wanna, you wanna get out of here? We're about to blow the whole thing. Is he shaking his head? Are you sure? All right. He's staying here? Yeah, he's just here to fuck no matter where it takes him. That is one passionate man. All right. All the bombs are set. Well, let's get out of here, Dubalek. We exited the hole to see our patriots surrounding us, exhausted, but believing in a higher purpose, with an eagerness to return to their wage-enslaved little downtrodden lives. Is it all set, Durgan? Yeah, it is. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen when we blow that hole, but I know it's not going to be like any hole I've blown into before. And we've still got a war going on around us, but hopefully... This is going to be the climax that everybody needs to see the truth. To see that this is our land. I mean, my land. So when I light this fuse, I want all of you to run as fast as you can, as far away from this place as you can, and then get back to murdering as many of those scum as... Wait, what? Just before Durgan was able to finish his speech, someone came running through the middle of the crowd with a lit stick of dynamite jumping directly into the hole. I'm doing this to avoid taxes! My name's Cameron! Immediately after the explosion, the hole started sucking in everything around us with the strength of a thousand tornadoes. As I was flying through the air, I grabbed a hold of an old but firm aspen tree. My legs were positioned perpendicular to the earth as I watched the few people around me either grab hold of something or get sucked into the ginormous hole we had tried to eradicate. As I gazed on in horror, I heard the faint sounds of something familiar making its way towards me in the wind. Durgan! Get me, house! Save me, Dumalek! I watched as Durgan flew towards me, flailing in the wind, being sucked towards the hole. And somehow, at the perfect moment, I was able to grab a hold of him grasping his left hand with my right as we hung together from the aspen tree. Oh, thank God! I thought I was done for! Durkin! What the hell is happening? It's physics, host. I forgot that hole went all the way down to the IU. Blowing it up just created suction so hard that everything's getting pulled out to the bush. It's like when you siphon off random cars gasoline. We suck the tube, and now the tube's sucking us. Durgan, that doesn't make any sense at all. How would it even- Ghost, I ain't got time for your dumb science facts. Listen, remember what I said. If something went wrong, I needed you to sacrifice as many children as you possibly could. We gotta blow that hole up somehow, or else there ain't gonna be no viscous to fight for. Cause it's gonna be in Australia. Oh my god! You still got your gun? Yeah! Okay, pick off as many as you see. Try and pick off groups of them together. It's the only way. Okay. Yeah. Why? 
hole's just getting stronger. That hole just keeps on sucking. Damn it. I forgot about the first law of class physics. Class physics? Yeah. The more expendable workers you throw at a problem, the greater the need is for someone non-expendable. But, but, but I... The only thing that's going to stop this hole from sucking everything around it is... What? Damn it. I didn't think it'd have to come to this. What are you talking about, Durgan? I cooked the best batch of clear I ever done cooked house. I've been on some real Breaking Bad shit recently. This clears the bomb. And that'll plug the hole? If it don't, I don't know what else will. Because this clear is definitely not expendable. Uh, okay, throw it. Well, I'm not just going to toss it all away without hitting it first. Okay, then do that. I need my other hand to light it. No, Durgan. Give me my hand, host. But you'll get sucked into the hole. I can't lose you. Give me my hand or I'll bite you, Duvalet. No. <laughs> That's when Durgan's teeth tore into the flesh of my hand paralyzing it, releasing my grasp on him. All I could do was watch as he was taken by the wind, using his now freed hand to light one last ginormous bowl of clear before being sucked into the hole, taken from me forever. Totally worth it! I awoke among the ruins to what once was viscous. Bodies lined the outskirts, like a potato farm in late spring, and the blackened sky had been replaced by white pouches of clouds, now sanctioning the destroyed town we used to love. And then, it began to snow. In the following weeks and months, we learned that Durgan's clear had indeed been the bomb. When Durgan and his bomb-ass clear blew up the hole in Viscous, it created a chain reaction that led to the blowing up of every other hole that the Australians had built, killing any person, kangaroo, or chimera that was in the vicinity of those holes during the blast. Because they were all interconnected, everything got sucked back out to the bush. After that, the word of Durgan McFlurgstang's sacrifice spread, State by state, people started fighting off their captors, and eventually, they won. America won, and Joe Blyden was forced back into hiding. All the Australians who had survived the blast were rounded up and sent off to coastlines, where they were put onto wooden rafts and sent out to sea, never to return. We would have placed them in labor camps, but we couldn't afford the chance that their propaganda virus would spread in America ever again. Other countries around the world began to take notice too, fighting back against their Australian captors and winning, eventually following suit and placing their Australians onto makeshift wooden rafts and sending them out to sea without paddles or food or water. We don't know what happened to them or if they ever made it back to their homeland. All we knew was, they had tried to destroy ours for a time. I hear that Australia's been breaking down ever since though, returning to their criminal ways, and that their government has been unsuccessful in fighting off pockets of capitalism that have started to emerge from within their own country, mostly from the bush. 
As for us, here in Viscous, we began to rebuild. Now that I was rich, I did what Durgan originally came here to do. I supplied money to build the town up from the ashes, helping re-establish residents in their places of employment, while indebting them, causing them all to have lifelong obligations to me. And they accepted it, because after hearing that Durgan and I had gone to Bone Town on each other, they believed that his criminality transferred into my body. I wasn't sure if they were right, but they believed it, and I wanted Durgan's legacy to live on. So I did what I had to do to make things right. Though the blast destroyed most of Viscous, it couldn't bring down the steel walls of the Hooters Jr.'s kitchen. Those boys hadn't ever stopped cooking, and they certainly won't now. I rebuilt the Horsewell Vodka plant too. We just put out a new batch of Select earlier this month. I called it Flowers for Durgan. Viscous and the rest of the United States slowly built back up. It wasn't the same as it was before. We modeled our new society off of the old capitalism. But we added a few tweaks that I like to think Durgan would have been proud of. We got rid of Medicare, abolished all safety nets, and eliminated regulations for every industry. It took us a minute to figure things out, but when the coal miners started dying again and towns melted overnight due to chemical spills, we knew it was almost perfect. Not only were the teachers and school shooters now armed, but the students too, if they were rich enough to get a public school education anyway. We doubled down on lobbying this time, and the first law that we passed was abolishing abortion. We called it wagey murder now. And sure, we couldn't get every state on board with forcing children to work 23 and a half hour workdays, but Viscous went right back to its old child labor laws with me in full control. At the center of town, right where the church used to be, I built a 146 story mansion that overlooked the community. The church wasn't destroyed by the blast. I did that later, but now, I spent my nights on my dolphin skin love seat out on the balcony, getting a clear head and taking time to think, just as I am now. You know, back when all this started, I was just the host of a number one podcast. I think I had kids, but none of that mattered anymore. I was one of the richest people in America, or at least in Viscous. I couldn't know for sure where I ranked since banking regulations were completely abolished when America was re-established. But I knew that Durgan would have been proud of me. And well, I guess that brings us to the end of season one. I don't know what happens now, other than a season two obviously, in which we backtrack on things that happened and disregard any contradictions or deaths by saying that they were just holograms. But I guess what I mean to say is, I don't know what happens to me. I think I lost myself a little when I started recording this podcast. I was just trying to exploit the friends and family of murder victims, speculate on things and present them as facts, and dig myself deeper into a hole each episode. But that's not really what happened, is it? And that got me thinking, was there a moral behind this story? Was there an underlying message that even I was missing? What if this had all hypothetically been a fictional podcast that was scripted by the brainworms I obviously didn't have? Could there be any deeper meaning? I mean, 
If it was fictional, and there was a meaning, would the hypothetical writer of this story really need to blatantly lay out the underlying messages about exploitation and how we treat media in the United States? With a specific focus on how murders are treated as entertainment when being talked about in the media? Would that writer really need to point out how there's a specific genre of podcasts, TV shows, books, documentaries, and movies that exploit the victims of murder and their families and friends in order to make money? And that those forms of media simply getting the word out about a case or broadcasting some positive message aren't justifications for that kind of exploitation? And that even if some ruthless quote-unquote journalists who follow no ethical procedures had solved a couple of murders, the effect of solving those murders pales in comparison to the effect and damage they bring to society and the victims who are dealing with the fallout of having a loved one be murdered or go missing. And that maybe, if that hypothetical writer went out of their way to talk about those things, would there be a chance that they weren't speaking directly out of their own asshole and may actually have first-hand personal experience in dealing with that media ecosystem? And maybe experience dealing with how speculation being treated as fact within that ecosystem can have negative consequences that only fall on the friends and families of those who are murdered or go missing? Would that writer really feel the need to call all the people who financially benefit off that exploitation sociopaths or just downright scummy human beings who are contributing to a system in which murder and missing persons cases are fetishized? I mean, this was all totally hypothetical because I would have to have brainworms to believe in any of that. <laughs> but it was interesting to think about. I guess if you took the rest of this story into account and contextualized all the child violence, elitism, wage enslavement, references to real-world problems like proxy wars, use of characters like Kaczynski and Dahmer, and considered how maybe only talking about those things in a comedic or absurdist way would essentially downplay the actual reality of those things, maybe that hypothetical writer wouldn't be an authority to speak on anything, really. Maybe they would just be a person trying to legitimize their own personal vendettas, while downplaying much worse problems that lead to a lot more death in the world. I mean, again, all hypothetical. I would really have to have brainworms to believe in that. Or I guess, be a dumb hick from a small town in the Midwest. But I'm not. I'm host. Host of the number one podcast. I'm a number one host. Which also got me thinking, I'm not a business person. I mean, I am the richest and most liked person in Viscous now, but I had a calling in life before all of this. I was meant to cover cases, to get tears into my microphone, to be a storyteller. And my story didn't feel over, neither did Durgan's for that matter. I stood up from my $600,000 dolphin skin love seat and looked over the balcony down at the small one-story, or at most, two-story, shacks and businesses that made up Viscous now. Durgan's body was never found. He had died twice before, but he had come back. Could it be possible that he was still out there, looking for the next poor man to swindle, the next child to lock into wage enslavement? Or maybe, maybe, just the love of his life. A really good clear binge. I didn't know. Maybe it was just the grief talking, but I knew I couldn't stay here. 
I mean, now that I was rich, I didn't have to stay here. I had wages doing all of my work for me, even the managing. But where would I go? What beginning would find me? And what end would I find? All I knew was, this story wasn't over. And so, I groped my dolphin skin love seat one last time, staring down at the permanent bite mark Durgan had left on my right hand. I grabbed my bag, my recorder, my clear, my flat cap, and I walked out the door. Alright, that's the show, everybody. Thanks for coming out. Wait, who are you? Host, you seriously don't recognize me? No. <laughs> it's me, word of mouth. Word of mouth? Yeah, yeah, how else do you think listeners are finding your show? I mean, I'm host. Host, you spent literally nothing on marketing this show. But it's a number one show. Yeah, it is. Wait, but... And because it is... People who lacked it and got all the way through seven hours of mentally ill, absurdist, preachy, contradictory nonsense, well, they'll want to share it with others. Sharing? Wait, you mean like... And that's where I come in. You? Me. Word of mouth. How? By speaking directly to the listeners, host, and telling them that we'd really appreciate it if they shared the show, either by posting online about it or, or just through casual conversation, you know. But where's the power imbalance in that? You see, we felt it would have gone against the very morals this show underlyingly presents to pay to advertise ourselves or to include advertisements that would feature commercials for corporations and companies that we think unethically advertise and should probably be burnt down to the ground at the end of the day uh, in Minecraft. Oh, okay. And so that kind of makes it hard to increase listenership when you approach marketing from an anti-marketing perspective. <laughs> it's kind of like making art you'd like to show the world by building that art in a sinkhole. A little counterintuitive, but ethically, we felt we had to... Wait. Are you telling me that we haven't been paid for all those ads we did? Uh... Because why the hell would you include that in- Host, let's not get off track, alright? This is just a simple plea to our listeners, saying that we'd really appreciate it if they shared the show with their friends and family, considered donating to our Patreon page, and left an honest five-star written review. Okay, uh, I guess that makes sense. And it's also probably a good time to say that HJ's in the alley behind the restaurant Wayne't just a joke advertisement, but a real show that we've been doing and will continue doing weekly until season two arrives, and that you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts by simply searching for HJS in the alley behind the restaurant. Oh yeah, that is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Do we have merch? I don't know, probably, but if we don't yet, we will soon. So, is that it? Is that season one? Uh, that's up to you, host. You have anything to add? Well, I guess I'd just like to say, um, in all seriousness, folks, we know America's going through a tough time right now. North America, anyway. Central and South America have it way too easy. But we know things are tough. And look, we're worried about the future. Everyone's worried about the future. But I have complete faith that electoral politics is the only way to solve this mess. So make sure to vote. Like, all jokes aside, guys, I, I know we had a lot of fun here, but like, 
Seriously, just vote. If you don't vote, everything's your fault. And you're not allowed to complain. Because there's literally no other option. Nothing else we could be doing. The system isn't broken. It's functioning exactly the way it was intended to. It is. And there's no other alternatives to what we have. And to imply otherwise, well, that'd be a totally ignorant way to advocate for the long-term sustainability of humanity itself. We all just need to stay firm in our commitment to asking for measly little scraps. Like a meaningless tax increase on the wealthy or other incremental social change that'll matter so much when most of us are dead in like 30 years or whatever. And we need to praise our politicians for doing the bare minimum required for them to keep getting political donations because it's more than nothing. And if in the process those politicians can't get things done that they promised would get done, well, <laughs> it's not their fault. They just had to bend to the needs of the empire. And I don't know what's more American than that. So yeah, to uh, sum it all up, you're officially now on the watch list. Congrats, uh, thanks, and um, have a nice day. Hooters Jr.'s The Durgan McClurg Sang Story is a Sad Picture production. If you would like to support us or gain access to exclusive content, visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash Hooters Jr.'s. That's patreon.com slash Hooters J-R-S. To get in contact, send an email to fuckyousuemi at hootersjuniors.com. Hooters Juniors is created, written, and edited by hosts, co-written by Cameron's Tax Guy, produced by Cameron's Tax Guy and Trent C. Rollins, executive producer Trapper D. McBlackfoot, voiced by host and a bunch of unnamed expendable wages. Fuck em. To learn more, visit hootersjuniors.com. Real truth is a crime.